All right, so here's the plan for today. This morning, I'm uh, going to do a message that's uh, specifically to encourage you men, fathers, grandfathers, uncles. And tonight, it's going to be a message specifically uh, for you ladies, you moms and your grandmas and you, you aunts. Now, just because this morning is a special encouragement for fathers, because we're going to look at a scripture that's for fathers, uh, ladies, you don't, you, know, you don't get to tune out, all right? There will be principles here for everybody, regardless uh, of, of your family situation and an encouragement uh, for you. So title for this morning's message um, is Take Courage. Take Courage. And I mean that in, in two ways. One is that God wants you fathers, you grandfathers, to encourage your kids. One of the messages I think God wants us as fathers to give our kids is take courage. And the other part of the message this morning is that dad wants you men, you fathers, you grandfathers, you uncles, to be encouraged. So you got it? Number one, we want to give the message to our kids, take courage. We want to be encouragers to our children. And God wants us to be encouraged with the mission that he's given us as dads and granddads. So open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Either open your Bible or turn your Bible on, whatever. Colossians 3, 21. By the way, you you all should have those handout packets, right? Give you outlines to help you as we go through the week. We're going to dig into one short, powerful word from God for dads. Colossians 3, 21. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So dads, we get a a do not commandment and a warning what can happen if we do the thing that we're not supposed to do. So let's define things a little bit from this text. Fathers, what are we not to do? What does it say? All right, do not provoke. Other translations say do not embitter them or do not be harsh with them. One paraphrase says don't push their buttons. Another paraphrase said don't be impossible to please. This whole idea of provoking or or exasperating. It's connected. It's not the exact same word, but it's connected to another verse for dads in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The idea here is that that when dads are are angry or harsh or hard-hearted to our kids, that our anger and hard-heartedness stirs up their anger and hard-heartedness. We rub them the wrong way, okay, and they become provoked. Now, then God tells us why this is such a problem, why we really need to be careful about this, because when we're angry... When we're controlling, when we're neglecting, the big problem, the thing we absolutely don't want to happen with our kids and grandkids is for them to become discouraged, for them to lose courage. Other translations say for them to lose heart. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, why does God give us the instruction here? Because God knows that this is a critical father pitfall. Critical father pitfall. God doesn't say things in the Bible he doesn't need to say. Dads, uh, how many of you ever had a situation uh, like this? This is a safe place, okay? Man, it's just us right now. Uh, Hey, Jenny, your daughter, insert daughter's name. 
Hey, Jenny, don't forget to uh, bring those papers home from school today. Yeah, Dad, I know. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jenny, why do you think I'm asking you to bring your papers home from school? I don't know. Well, is it possible that you haven't brought them home the last three days? Well, maybe, I guess. So you see, I'm telling you because I think I need to tell you. Because if I don't tell you, I don't think you're going to do it. Dad, you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. All right, good. Okay. So when God tells us stuff in the Bible, it's because he thinks we need to hear it. Right? And that if he doesn't tell us, that we might miss it. So in this case, fathers do not provoke your children. Why would he say that? Because we're prone to provoking our children. We're prone to exasperating them. We're prone to pushing their buttons. So God knows it, so he speaks directly to, to the issue. And, and God wants all of us, okay, whether you're a dad or not, growing in this area. Uh, how many have ever um, fallen short in this area by over-punishing a child? Over-punishing a child. So kid, uh, whatever, your, your fourth grade son cheats on his quiz or something like that, or takes his brother's toy. and you're like, you're, I can't believe you did this again. I talked to you about this. You're, you, you, you are grounded. How long? Two years. And, and, and I'm put in your room, and, and we're going to put a porta potty in there and a slot in your door. I'll feed you through the slot in your door. You go to the bathroom. Two years? Yeah, longer if you complain. You ever tried that one? Three years if you give any back talk. So you, you go downstairs, and your wife like, so, how'd it go? Yeah, well, I, I may have overdone it a little. <laughs> That's a sure. Oh, what did you do? I grounded him for two years with a porta potty in his room. What? So then you go back. You have to re. I think I may have overdone that, son. Yeah, maybe a little, Dad. All right, one year, no porta potty, still the slot in the door. Okay, Dad, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that God's had to teach me over the years as as a dad is that. When I, when I lose my temper, when I yell, when I'm harsh, by the way, that, that'd be the number one thing that I struggle with, you know, as, as a dad, being harsh, being quick-tempered, being impatient with, with my kids. So one of the things that God's had to teach me over the years is when I lose my temper, when I lose my cool, when I'm harsh, I got to do a couple things. One, I got to apologize as quickly as I can to them. And I've learned that so there's something really important that I've got to say. So with my nine-year-old boy, Ray, uh, here. Um, I'll say, Ray, I yelled at you, and I was wrong, and this is the key. Ray, it was not your fault that I yelled at you. It was not your fault that I got mad. That was totally my fault, and I am sorry. And I know how when I yell at you, when I get angry with you, I know that it hurts you. Will you please forgive me? Yes, Dad, I forgive you. Will you give your heart back to me? Proverbs 23, 26. Will you give, yes, Dad, I give my heart back to you. And then, then I get a do-over, right? I get to go back to what I failed to do well 10 minutes ago. And then, no, Dad, you don't get a chance. You yelled at me. You lost your chance. No, I still get a chance. I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try uh, again. But none of this, I would not have had to yell at you if you had not da-da-da-da-da. I would not have had to lose my temper if you had not da-da-da. That's blaming my child for my character problem. That's blaming my child for my anger and my harshness. Okay, so we, we've got this negative commandment with a negative consequence, right? Do not provoke your child lest they become discouraged. So you get both negatives because God wants a positive. God does not want not discouraged children. It's a lot of negatives. He's not looking for not discouraged children. He's looking for children filled with courage. 
He's looking for children who are encouraged. So that's what I want to, whoopsie, picture too soon. That's what I want to talk to you about. Dads, granddads, how do we help our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, take courage? How do we help them have courage for all the different things that they're going to face in their life? Specifically, how do we help them have courage to be servants of God in this world? Now, springtime in the Reno house is a baseball season, which we just emerged from. Our W down here plays college baseball, and JD plays high school baseball. Ray plays Little League, and as I shared earlier, I play church softball, okay? And one of the things our W, uh, in his years playing baseball, he found an online hitting coach, you know, a guy who posts YouTube videos and shares about how to become a better baseball player and a better, uh, better hitter. And he does some messages for, for parents. His name is Steve Springer, by the way, if you want to Google that. Uh, he does some messages for parents. And his core message for parents is this. He says that baseball is the most self-esteem-destroying sport in the world. Baseball is the most self-esteem-destroying sport in the world. You've, if you've ever seen a little child play baseball before, right? They go up to the plate, they strike out. They, they, within two seconds of walking back to the dugout, some of these kids are in tears, right? Or they're at shortstop and the ball comes to them and they're ready and right through the legs and the run scores and there again, they're, they're crying again. Um, let me give you a, another example, and this will be for uh, those of you that know baseball, those of you that don't, I'll catch you up to speed. Let's imagine that you come up to, to bat, and you get to bat 10 times, and seven times you get out, fly ball, ground ball, strikeout, and three times you get a hit, 10 at bats, three base hits. You've failed seven times, you've succeeded three times, you've failed twice as many times as you've succeeded. Is this good batting or bad batting? Yeah, right back there with the thumbs up. Right, tell me your name, sir. Yeah, you got the thumbs up right there. Caleb? All right, you're a baseball guy? Very good. All right, because I, I got to know who my people are. Okay. Um, yeah, this, now, if, I, if, if, a, if a person does this for 25 years, right, every level, they're going to make millions and millions of dollars. They're failing more than twice as much as they're succeeding. And so one of the things about baseball, if a child does not become accustomed to failing and being okay with failing, they're never going to make it in this sport. Baseball is a game of failure. Baseball is the most self-esteem destroying sport in the world. So Steve Springer says this, the game, he's talking to parents now, he says the game will provide all the discouragement necessary. So your job as a parent is simply to encourage. Hey, keep your chin up. Try again. Swing hard. You'll get another at bat. It's okay. Have fun. Let's go for it. So in other words, the game will take the courage out. Job of the parent is to keep putting the courage in. So I think, uh, uh, men, we've got a life parallel here. Your kids are playing the most self-esteem destroying sport in the world. They're playing the most discouraging sport in the world. It's called life. Life is going to provide your kids all the discouragement necessary. Our job as dads is to put that courage back in. Now, what do I mean when, when life's going to provide your kids all the discouragement necessary? Two levels. One uh, external and one internal. Externally, our kids are going to have a lot of failure in their lives. They're going to fail the test. Their best friend's going to find a new best friend. 
They can't find a job. They get cut from the team. Their play date cancels. The, the toy breaks. They don't get into the college that they, they want to. External stuff is going to fail and disappoint them repeatedly in their lives. But far more importantly, there, there's internal failures that your kids are going to face over and over again. Now, what am I talking about here? The Bible says in Romans 3, all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Now, when the Bible says we fall short of the glory of God, do we fall short a little or a lot? A lot. So when your kids are going to fall short spiritually, are they going to fall short a little or fall short a lot? They're going to fall short a lot. Let me give you an example of some of my hypocritical parenting here. I will look my children in the eye. There's one right there. I'll look my children in the eye and I will say, R.W., okay, I do not expect you to be perfect. I expect you to make mistakes. It's okay. And then two hours later when he does something wrong, I say, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> Raise your, come on, put your hand up if you've done that. Well, what are we doing? Well, why is it? It's like we're shocked, okay? They're little sinners. They got it from us. That's the way it is. Okay, so again, our, our kids are playing the, the most discouraging sport in the world. It's called life. They don't need more provoking from me. They don't need more exasperation from me. They need to do, we, they need the opposite. So how specifically, like really practically, how can we say to our kids, take courage? How can we say to our kids, have courage, be encouraged try again. And I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about sports and baseball. I'm talking about life and specifically and especially if they are going into this world as servants of Christ and of his kingdom. Two things that I think our kids absolutely need to know. One's very important. One is absolutely essential. The first one is this. This one's very important. Put it up on the screen for you. How do we say to our sons and daughters, take courage? Number one, we say, I love you and I'm with you. I love you, and I'm with you. That one's very important. This next one is absolutely essential, and that is this, that God loves you, and he's with you. God loves you, and he's with you. Life beats them up. Sin beats them up. We can't solve that, can't fix that, can't rescue them, can't create a pain-free existence for them. But what we can do is we can love them, and we can stick with them. We can say to our kids and then live it out, I love you and I'm with you no matter what happens. I love you and I'm with you no matter what choices that you make. I'm committed to my relationship with you regardless of what happens in the future. Now, why am I saying this? You might say, oh, wow, well, that sounds kind of uh, self-helpy or psychological or, or whatever. I'm suggesting that these are the two ingredients to encourage our kids because this is the pattern in the Bible for how God encourages us. This is the pattern in the Bible for how God encourages us. When God tells us to take courage, this is how he does it. Let me show you that in two places. The first one is from Joshua chapter 1. Moses has died. God's appointed Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. War is ahead. And so look at what God says to Joshua beginning in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? 
be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For or because the Lord your God will what? Be with you wherever you go. So, Joshua, why be strong? Why be courageous? Why should you not be afraid? Why should you not be discouraged? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have courage, Joshua, because it'll be easy. Have courage, Joshua, because you'll always be successful. Have courage, Joshua, because everything's going to work out just the way you want it to. No, have courage, because I will be with you. Now look at that last part. The Lord your God will be with you. Where? What if Joshua makes a wrong turn? Where's God? With him. What if Joshua sins and does something wrong? Where's God? God's with him. And what does that mean for us as fathers? When our kids take a wrong turn, where are we supposed to be? Hello? With them. Not condoning, not supporting, but loving and in relationship with them. I'm with you no matter what. Let me show you this pattern again with Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is raised from the dead, preparing to ascend to heaven. He's meeting with his disciples to give them their mission, their marching orders, their great co-mission. This is what Jesus says. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am what? With you always to the end of the age. We focus on that first part, the mission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching, right? That's the challenge that God has given us. But how in the world are messed up people like us going to go into the world and advance the kingdom of God? He's going to be with us. He's not left us to our own strength and our own gifts. He's with us. And he says, behold, pay attention. Don't miss this. I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as a Christian, you can have courage for one reason. Christ is with you. And he hasn't abandoned you. Dads, this is... This is the reason why that God wants us to take courage. Remember this morning is encouragement for fathers to encourage their kids and encouragement for fathers to take courage. You know, the bottom line, I, I think most of us dads have a chronic feeling of falling short. I think we have a sense of chronic feeling of falling short as leaders of our families, falling short in our role as fathers or, or grandfathers, struggling with Children struggling with a step family, feeling like we're falling short with a wife, feeling like we're falling short with, with provision. Okay, if that's you, welcome to the club. And, and how, do you, you know, how do you deal with that? If you're a Christian dad, how do you deal with all that, that chronic sense of, of I'm just not living up to my expectations or the expectations of people around me? The way you deal with that is by locking in, preaching to yourself, my heavenly Father loves me and he's with me. My Father loves me and he's with me. So I'm going to wake up tomorrow and try again. I'm just going to keep bumbling and stumbling along. I'm going to take courage because my Father has not forgotten about me and my Father has not abandoned me. I will not lose heart. He is with me wherever I go, even if I make a wrong 
turn. One of the books that has, has impacted me as a dad, how many of you have uh, teenage kids out there? Any more teenage kids? Okay. Dennis Rainey has a book uh, called Stepping Up. Uh, and in fact, R.W. and I read that uh, together when he was a teenager. He has a great quote in that book. It's a, it's a little extended, so it's a couple paragraphs, so bear with me as I read it. He says, a teenage boy can come out on the other side of adolescence as a man, not only in body, but also in soul, if this man in the making is trained by the right kind of man, a man like you, a man who recognizes the dangers in our culture and does his duty, like Churchill, despite the intense pressures he faces. He says, the greatest pressures you'll face as a father are your son's tendency to push back or resist your involvement and your temptation to pull out or disengage from his life. So then he talks about these two pressures, the, the child's t- pressure to push back on you and then your temptation to pull back. So he says the pushback. It's not easy to be involved in your son's life during his teen years. As he steps out of boyhood, he doesn't know how to become a man. He has little experience of the lethal temptations he will confront. But his desire for independence will lead him to begin pushing you out of his life. He'll probably become more withdrawn emotionally, may talk to you less than before. He'll want to spend time with his peers instead of you. He may argue with you and stiff arm you. He will probably think you're old-fashioned and clueless. He may act as though you'll embarrass him, and he may think uh, he knows more than you. Then pressure number two, the temptation for the father to withdraw, the pull out. What makes the teenage years exponentially perilous is that at the same time your son and his friends are pushing back, you'll see many fathers beginning to pull out of their son's lives. The exhaustion that comes at the end of a pressure-packed workday can result in passivity. Fathers rationalize the easiest thing to do is disengage, and that's exactly what they do. The antidote to the pushback and the pullout is to continue pressing into your son's life. As a man, you must courageously step up and stay involved wisely moving deeper into your son's life, even as you're pressured to stay out of it. One of the um, conversations that R.W. and I have had over these last four years, when he left for college at 18, we began talking about this, this principle that, hey, over the next four years, 18 to 22, our relationship needs to go through a a major change, a major transformation. That during these next four years, we have got to shift the nature of our relationship from father-son to -to man-to-man. Now, I'm always going to be his dad. He's always going to be my son. I get that. But I don't want the template for our relationship going forward to be father-son. I want it to be more man-to-man. Now, what that means, he's got to act more like a man. I got to treat him more like a man. We both have to turn our keys to make that happen. And, and one of the key ingredients, and I, we, we decided to do this at the beginning, and both of us turned our key to do it, but I didn't know how important it was going to be. One of the things that we said we really wanted to do was to start sharing prayer requests with each other. That kind of being the, if we're going to have a man-to-man relationship, like a brother-in-Christ relationship, then one of the key ingredients to having a man-to-man brother-in-Christ relationship is you pray 
with, for each other. When you got a problem, that's one of the people in your life you text. You say, hey, would you please pray for me today? So uh, pastors at our church, accountability partner, RW, they're the first people that I, I text. Hey, RW, your mom and I are having a, a challenging marriage day today. Could you please pray for us? Pray that I would be a godly servant leader. And uh, he's like, got it, Dad, I'll pray. You're like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? You're asking your kid to pray for your marriage problems? Well, he lived with us for 18 years, you understand? So he's not, he's not like under any illusion that mom and dad have it all together. I mean, I, who, who could be a safer person for me to share a personal prayer request than, than my adult son, right? And, and vice versa, because he loves me and he's with me no matter what. And I love him and I'm with him no matter what. Dads, um, maybe you're here and, and you're in this category of, um, I don't know, just feeling discouraged right now with the state of your family or your own spiritual condition or a relationship that you have with a son or daughter or, or a spouse or a, a family member. And I want to give you a, a, a critical biblical principle. This would be for anybody that's feeling discouraged right now in the midst of a a difficult family season. And the, the principle is this, uh, to, to trust God in the middle of the story. Trust God in the middle of the story. The negative way to say it is don't judge God in the middle of the story. Here's what I, I mean by that. I'm going to give you three quick biblical illustrations and hopefully it'll make some sense. There was a time in Moses's life when God told Moses to put his hand into his cloak and when Moses took his hand out of his cloak, God had struck him with leprosy. Now, what kind of a God would strike his servant with leprosy? What a horrible thing to happen. What are you thinking? Hello? Come on, work with me. Yeah, 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 Rob, come on, come on, don't, don't stop there. You see, he tells him to put the hand in his cloak again. He takes his hand out, and he's cured of the leprosy. It's like God's power in his life saying, Moses, I'm with you. Look at my, my power. Okay, um, Joseph. Joseph, uh, uh, he's the uh, 11th brother out of the 12. The older brothers are jealous of him, strip him naked, throw him in the well, sell him into slavery. Uh, it, is, it is a chapter of this incredible unjust suffering. And Joseph spends years and years and years in an Egyptian jail. What a horrible, horrible event. And this is like a biblical family, right? They don't like you. By the way, when, if, if brothers get in a fight in the Bible, option one is I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Not like, hey, I'm going to kill you, man. I'm going to kill you. So the, read the, if you read the Bible and look at the biblical families, that's one of the best encouragements for like your messed up family. You are doing great. Uh, but okay, yeah, so this is just, it's again, this history in the Bible of Joseph suffering unjustly at the hands of his brothers being sold into slavery is just a horrible thing. How could God ever allow that to happen in Joseph's life? Oh, there we go. Yeah, 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 Rob, don't stop there. Like, that's just the middle of the story, right? God raises up to Joseph, second in command. He, God uses him to save Egypt and the, the region from famine. And the brothers come back, and they're soft-hearted and repentant, and they, they're reunion. It's awesome. It's one of, like, the best histories in the whole Bible. Super, super cool. So, you see, you don't judge God in the middle of the story. Here's one more. God sends his son, never commits a sin, lives a perfect life, gets arrested, 
false trial, crucified, dies on the cross, buried in the grave. What kind of a God would send his son to be killed? That's just horrible. Thank you, right? Rob, don't stop at Friday. Let's get to Sunday. Yeah, 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 because then we're getting to the the good stuff. So you, you get the point? We don't judge God in the middle of the story. Now listen, my my point in in sharing that is not to say whatever struggle, misery, discouragement you are in right now, God's going to work it all out perfect and happy. The end of every earthly story is not perfect and happy. But the end of the final story for every follower of Jesus is exactly that. Perfect and happy. You know God's promise, right? He works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So we can take courage that God loves us and God is with us and we can just trust him in the middle of the story. That's also a principle I want you to share with your kids. When your kids are in a moment of discouragement, when they feel like their, their world is collapsing in around them, one of the most important things to say to our kids is, Let's trust God in this. He knows what he's doing. He has allowed this into our lives for a purpose. We don't know what that purpose is yet, but let's trust him together. This is just the middle of the story. So, Christian dads, message for you today. Number one, God wants you to encourage your kids. Number two, God wants you to take courage. God wants you fathers to be encouraged. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I'm going to make a good faith effort during my uh, sessions to leave a few minutes for questions, uh, thoughts, comments, disagreements, additions. So I succeeded today. Some mornings I won't, but I left a few minutes. Uh, What do you want to talk about? Questions, comments, thoughts? Or you may be eager for a coffee break. Yes, miss. Sure. We know the code. It's a great question. You're probably the only wife who's ever really experienced something like that before. So it's hard to, you know what I mean? Such a rare situation. But, but I'll give it a shot. Um, <laughs> um, you got to remember right out of the gates in Genesis, God says, not good for man to be alone. I'll make a wife uh, as a helper, suitable helper to him. So one of the most fundamental tasks of the wife is to help the husband. You're like, what do you mean help him? Help him become a more godly man. Okay, help him become a more godly man. Um, Amy, a a phrase that she has shared, we do these visionary marriage um, events and conferences together. And um, I probably should have just had you come up to field this one, sweetheart. But uh, um, she will say, let me me get this straight. If I mess it up, honey, let me know. Um, She will say to uh, husbands, uh, that if you know God has brought a wife into your life because God thought you needed help. 
do you agree with God? <laughs> and then she'll flip it around, okay, and she'll say, okay, wives, you know, God is, if God has brought a husband into your life, God thought you needed to be led. Do you agree with God that you need a spiritual leader in your life? You're like, the lady's like, oh, rats, I like that first one <laughs> better. But, um, but yeah, understanding that God's given you that role and the responsibility to be a spiritual help to your husband, to help him become a more godly man. Uh, so I would definitely encourage you to look for a wise way to help him. And obviously, every wife has, has learned if you come with a combative, sort of shaming, attacking approach, the likelihood of him hearing that and being receptive to that is low. So, you know, Amy really does a good job uh, preambling me. You know I mean by a preamble? Honey, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not trying to be attacking. I don't want you to get upset. Okay, see what I mean? She's just sort of cultivating the soil for the seed that's going to go in there. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the way you handled that with Ray, I think that, you know, maybe you're, you were probably too harsh, you know, with him. And I, I would encourage you to go back and, you know, apologize. so does that make sense when she preambles me? Now, it doesn't, no guarantee that I'm going to respond softly to that despite all the cultivating, but it gives me, it gives me a fighting chance. Does that make, yeah. Yes, sir. Lighten up, giving him hand signals, lighten up, time. Pull out, mayday! <laughs> That's great. Somebody had one, yes please, on the way back. Yeah, again, I'm just speaking for Amy here. It, my behavior's got to be pretty bad for Amy to kind of call me out in, in front of the kids, right? But I mean, if, if, it's, if it's worthy of that, she'll do it. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be in private, right? Because she, does, she doesn't want to give the kids a sense that she's being, right, disrespectful or that we're not on the same team or things like that. Yeah, generally speaking, a little while later. You know, or, you know, or sometimes, would, again, I should have Amy up here. You know, she'll sometimes say to me, honey, can you and I just talk in the other room for a minute? Right, so she's like putting a time out on my bad parenting. And then we're, we're going to the other room and we're, we're talking about it privately. Um, yeah, one more. Sure, okay, practical ways for pressing into the teenager, not exasperating. Um, would, would really encourage you, any of you that got parents of teens, to make sure you grab, you know, Amy's in my book, uh, Five Reasons for Spiritual Apathy in Teens, like when your parent, teens are kind of blah, flat, whatever. So five, teen, five Reasons for Spiritual Apathy in Teens and What Parents Can Do to Help. We won an award for the book, Longest Title. <laughs> awesome. But um, the... <laughs> um, Here's the, you know, I always want to kind of start with the, the principle, okay, because if you don't have the principle, then 
you're not going to be able to, the application is going to struggle. The principle is with our teenagers that physically their lives separate from us more and more, right? Physically, they're just not around as much. They've got more school, more sports, more work, more friends. We are getting ready to launch them, correct? We don't want them living in our basement at 35, ideally, unless they're like back for a temporary thing. That's all good. We understand that. But um, we, we want to launch them out of the house. So those teen years are getting the points where we're starting to launch. So physically, we're separating more and more. But relationally, we want to be building the closest relationship we've ever had with them. Our heart connection from 12 to 18 should be getting deeper than it's ever had been. Our relationship should be getting deeper than it's ever had been. Our spiritual connection, our prayer together, our spiritual conversations, deeper. Because now, you see, they're now actually making life and death decisions or decisions that are going to affect the rest of their life. They, your teenager needs you more than they've ever needed you before. So you have to lock into that principle. Physically, I'm going to be away from them more, but heart connection will want to be closer than ever. And, and you can talk to your teenagers about this. Talk to them when they enter high school. Say, hey, next four years, here's what's going to happen. Physically, we're going to be apart more than ever, but we want to try to build the best relationship we possibly can. Make sense? So you start with the principle and then work into practice. I'm going to pray in just a second. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the resources that you're going to find over at the table. Before and after every session, me or one of our kids uh, or Amy will be over there to help you. Um, you can All sorts of things to help your family, your family relationships. I want to point out a couple free things to you, okay? Uh, on the right side of the table, you'll find a, a booklet for how your church can get family ministry going in your church. You'll find a brochure about our ministry. You'll find a devotional for your teenager, okay? A devotional for your teenager written by Sleepless in Scotland, okay? Our daughter. Uh, and those are all free. The teen devotionals are free. The getting family ministry going in your church is free. The other thing that's free, and it doesn't say free on the table, so I got to tell you now, is we have a video series for single parents, okay? It's called Encouragement for Single Parents, and it's a video Bible study, and the, the sign over there says 50 bucks, but that's wrong. It's free. So if you're a single mom or dad, we want to put that in your hand. Or if you have a single mom or dad in your life that you'd like to give that to, please take it. If we run out, you just need to, there's some order forms, and we'll ship it to you for, for free, okay, if we, we run out of that, that free stuff. So it doesn't, you know, as you go through the week, it, it never hurts my feelings if people don't buy things, but it does hurt my feelings if people don't take free things. That, that is hurtful. So please... Uh, at least make the free stuff disappear, uh, and then we can help you with the others. L let me pray, and I think we're going to take a break, and then I believe our, our, am I right, our missionaries are coming up to present? Okay, now we get to the good stuff, Sergey. I'm excited. Let's, let's pray. Uh, and and what I'd like to ask all the men in the room to stand up, because I'd like to pray an encouragement and a blessing for you. All the men stand up, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all these men standing up uh, right now, these fathers, these grandfathers, these, these uncles, uh, and Lord, those of us that don't have children, we have young people in our sphere of influence. Uh, we're spiritual fathers in our church families, and I want to pray for all these men that they would be strong and very courageous. Pray that they would not turn to the right or to the left, they would follow and obey your word. I pray against any spirit of fear in them that they would never become discouraged or lose heart because they know that you love them and that you'll be with them wherever they go. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.